Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's Teaching of the Week. If this is your first time, welcome. So glad that you were able to join us. If you'd like to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about restoration, you can go to restorationaz.org. And with that said, we hope you enjoy this week's teaching from Landon Myers. I have uh, loved over the, the past few years, especially the last 12 months or so, getting to know Andrew and, and his family and um, our church family now, getting to be blessed by the work of the Spirit, the work of Jesus in, in their lives. And uh, I've personally just learned a lot from Andrew about what it means to follow Jesus, what it looks like. And so I'm thankful they are in the, the role that they are. And actually, last week, uh, Andrew had the opportunity, I think it was Andrew, to baptize uh, two people within our our congregation. We were going to do this baptism on Christmas Eve, and then it didn't work out, and so I'm going to make them feel awkward and uncomfortable. But Dave and Paige, will you stand real quick? I know it's exactly what you want, but we didn't get to celebrate with you. So, all right, now you can sit, and if you're able, I just felt like we need some exercise today, so everyone else can stand up. It's just what we should do, I can tell. And I would love if you just raise a hand. I want to pray a blessing over them as as part of our church family because this is part of what baptism is. Father, you alone are good in every single moment. And I thank you for this new relationship with Dave and Paige, those that you've placed in their life, but most importantly, that wherever they go, whatever they do, you are near, you are working, you are good, whether it seems to be the case or not, seasons of celebration, brokenness, through them all, the reality is that you are good, that you are there, that you are moving and working and you are love. So I thank you that they're following you. I thank you that we get to be part of that. Help us to be a good family for them as we seek to follow you together. We pray it in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. All right, sorry about that. So we're going to dive right into the scriptures. I was going to teach on hospitality uh, today, but then I decided to pivot a little bit because uh, we've been doing these practice things for, I don't know, two to three years now. We've made it through uh, quite a few practices, and I've realized as I've been looking out on Sundays that some of you have done almost all of our practices Some of you have done a few, maybe a handful have done every one, Um, and there's certainly a group of you that have no clue what I'm talking about right now, and so I thought it might be worthwhile to give a whole Sunday and devote it to going, what is this thing we keep talking about, practices? What does it mean to practice the way of Jesus, and specifically with this church family? And so that's what we're going to dive into that way, I hope, if I can communicate halfway effectively you'll know exactly what practices are and whether or not that's something uh, you want to participate in alongside of us. And I could not think of a better place to do it than Matthew chapter 9, verse 32, talking about the demon possessed, because that makes sense. So here we go. Matthew 9, 32. Just as they, Jesus and his disciples, were going out, a demon possessed man who was unable to speak was brought to him. When the demon had been driven out, the man spoke, and the crowds were amazed, saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. 
I want you to like actually imagine that for a moment. It would be like going to the same gas station every time you need to, to fill your tank and there is this man that wants to speak, he wants to talk and he cannot do that. Like I'm speaking right now, he can't. You had conversations walking in saying hello to someone hopefully or whatever and you couldn't actually do that. That was the reality for this man because of a spiritual attack. He could not talk. His, his life really was ruined in many ways, but specifically with what we read here. Until Jesus comes along and does something. That's the, the beauty of Jesus, is that he does something. And then, listen to this line. They say, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Like, they had a pretty incredible history they say, nothing like this man has ever happened. Nothing like this Jesus has ever occurred. And never will it again, except for in the person of Jesus the Christ. Have you ever stopped, especially if you grew up in the church, to think about the miracle that Christianity itself is? That thousands of years ago, a man spoke and taught and did these things. And because he did those things, thousands of years ago, you are sitting in the chair that you're sitting in on a Sunday morning instead of being warm and cozy and watching football or something, which is probably what I would be doing if I hadn't read about Jesus. You're here in this chair. You're singing songs about this man from thousands of years ago, written in a book from way, 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 way long ago. Yet you're here. And there's people in buildings or not in buildings all over the world today to worship this man from, again, just to make my point clear, thousands of years ago. That is crazy. That doesn't happen. There's no other story like that. There's no other person followed in this way but this Jesus. And a part of it is because nothing like this had ever been seen in Israel. Nothing like Jesus has ever been seen in our world, period. The reason that, that Christianity still exists, in part, is because Jesus was no mere teacher, though he was a great teacher. Jesus was no mere spiritual authority, though he certainly was that. Where Jesus showed up, things happened. That's why you're here today, because of who this Jesus is and what he has done. Look at verse 34 too. But the Pharisees said, meaning the religious leaders, the, the, those who were supposed to be uh, the spiritual authority that had the highest position, they said, he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. This makes the miracle of Christianity all the more miraculous that for the course of all of human history, people have been seeking other powers and authorities, spiritual or otherwise, to deceive people about Jesus, to twist the truth about him, to tell another story. It's how it all starts in Genesis 3 when Satan gives a half-truth about God and it changes everybody's perspective. That happened there, happened here in Matthew chapter 9, and it happens today all over the place where half-truths are told to you about this man, this God named Jesus. Just before this, uh, I read a subtitle in my Bible. If you're, you're looking at one, you probably have something similar. Just above Matthew chapter 9, verse 27, the subtitle here says, Healing the Blind. The actual scriptures didn't have these subtitles. It does not say healing the blind. But sometimes the way that we read the scriptures is we just kind of like the Cliff Notes version. We go like, oh, cool. What did Jesus do? He healed some blind people. Great. How fantastic. But like 
think about what this is saying here. I'm actually going to do more awkward things today because why not? I want you to close your eyes for 30 seconds. I don't think anybody will do anything to you. And imagine what your life would be like if you could not see. Like, how are you going to walk out of this room? How would you get home? How are you going to, like, how does that impact your relationships? What does that change about the most routine things? Now imagine if that is every single day of your life. If you have kids, how are you going to to care for them, the people you know, who do you know that you're talking to? And this is at a time and place where they didn't have crosswalks that can help you know when and where to walk if you can't see. There was no government assistance like we might know today. So now you can go ahead and open your eyes, but this subtitle does no justice to what has happened. There's two men who are desperate because their life has been really ruined. They're not able to participate in culture other than to beg because they cannot see until comes along Jesus. And he doesn't just teach. Jesus does something. That's incredible. I think so often we just scoot over, read quickly, and go like, oh yeah, okay, there's another story. But these were real lives and real people. Just before that, there's a woman who's had this bleeding issue for 12 years. Not the 12 seconds it took me to say that. 12 years, imagine the implications of that. Before that, or actually while uh, that's happening, she sees that Jesus is on his way somewhere, and she knows somehow God has given her this incredible faith. She just reaches out to touch his clothes, and because of that, she is healed. Where his presence is, there's power. Where Jesus goes, things happen. He's actually on his way because some really desperate parents uh, knew that their daughter was dying. A young girl. And so Jesus is on his way to her house to try and help. And it's pretty crazy. Jesus shows up after healing this other woman. And the funeral, if you will, has already begun. They don't wait in this culture. It's going to happen right there and then. And so this little girl is dead upon the bed in the home. The house is, is filled with Moist, depressing tears. Everyone is literally crying, it says. There's musicians there in the room. The the actual service is about to start like it is finished. I picture two, I don't think it says it, but I I just just picture a nine-year-old right now because my oldest is nine years old. Picture for a second because we can just not take these things to heart like a little girl that you know, dead, not breathing. The service has started. Pretend it's in here, whatever. That's what happens. Like she's dead until Jesus walks in and everyone tells him, it's too late. You didn't get here quick enough. And I can, I can just kind of hear his thoughts maybe going, you just, you don't understand. And he walks up to that bed, he closes the door and he does something. And where Jesus is, things happen and she breathes the breath of life again. She comes back to life. You're here today because that actually happened. Because they've never seen the likes of this in their whole history. Just a a tiny bit before that, there's this man lying on a mat in the midst of a crowd. And you don't lie on a mat in the midst of a crowd unless that's all you can do. He was brought there. He's not lying on a mat because he wants to. It's because he cannot walk. Again, his life is not the way it was meant to be. 
until Jesus shows up. And then Jesus does something weird. He takes this opportunity amidst the religious leaders of the day to go, I, to say, excuse me, I am the one that heals. I am the one that heals not just physically, but internally, spiritually, the whole person. I can forgive sins. And then to prove his point, he commands this man's body. He goes, stand up and walk. I picture being that guy, being like, you think I haven't tried that? <laughs> but for some reason, his legs listen to the command that this God speaks, because when this God speaks, something happens. Jesus does. Just before that, there's this region, there's this place. It's kind of like, I was thinking the other day, I was driving home, thinking about pranks my friends and I used to play in our, our neighborhood and going like, I don't think I'd let my kids do that. Like, it's a different day. And processing it. It's like, here's the spot. There's this place. And you go, hey, kids, you can play anywhere you want in the neighborhood. You can go anywhere you want to go except for that spot. Do not go there because it is dangerous. In the Bible, there's this place where there are these two men that are unbelievably violent and evil. So you don't let your kids go there. You don't do uh, walks through that area or that neighborhood because only bad things happen there. In fact, the authorities have gone to this place and have tried to apprehend these men to clean up the region. And they cannot because of their strength and power and evil until Jesus shows up and he overpowers them. He has victory. He frees those men from the evil conquering them and that region is now a free place again. Jesus shows up and he does something. I'm still in, uh, barely out of chapter nine. There's a man with a skin disease which might sound subtle, like, oh, just go to the dermatologist or something. That's not how it worked. What it meant is that he could not participate in society. He wasn't allowed to buy or sell, to have an occupation. He could not go worship. He was excluded from God and people. He had no life. And if anyone else were to touch that man, that person that did the touching would then not be allowed to do any of those things either. And what does Jesus do? He walks up and he touches the disease. And where Jesus touches a disease or a problem or any issue, healing happens. Jesus does not just teach, though he's quite good at that. Where he shows up, Jesus does. At the beginning of, of this account, I, I feel like Matthew, who's recording it, almost gets bored or something, and he just goes, there was a house, and Jesus healed a friend of a friend, and then they just brought everybody, everybody that had a sickness and needed healed, everybody that was struggling spiritually, everyone who had a skin disease, whatever it was, he just he said, the whole town came, and Jesus healed whoever came near. And then there's my favorite story. I think because it's on a boat, and I love boats, everything that Jesus does on a boat is, is my favorite. And there's these fishermen who are used to being on a boat and the storms that come around this time. Except this time, they're freaking out. I imagine as the, the scriptures kind of describe it, it says that the winds are violent. So I, I picture, I don't know if you've ever been in one of these storms, especially on a boat, where you're trying to communicate to someone because you need to, to take care of some things, and the wind is howling, and you literally cannot hear. You're screaming, and you can't hear your own voice. That's what I picture. They're trying to bail out the water. The waves are rising and crashing over the boat, and they have no hope. Like They're experienced, but they're freaking out, thinking they're going to die. And then Jesus, in this most astonishing, calm way, speaks these words that, that are almost comical. We read them in verse 26. Jesus said to them, why are you fearful, you of little faith? 
Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. I mean, this is crazy. The men were amazed. They didn't expect this. They weren't used to it like we are. We don't read this and go, oh, wow. Look at what he did again. They were, though, amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. He speaks. John 1 says, the word came to dwell among us. The word is Christ. He spoke and the world was created. He speaks and the wind and the waves. Listen, this is Jesus. This is our king. This is why you are sitting in the chair that you're sitting in this morning. Because of not only what he's taught, but because Jesus does. I was talking to, to Jeremy earlier this week on, on Thursday, and he was telling me about driving his kids and, and someone else on the way to school, and that as they were talking, the, the girl that was with them shared about someone who she knew that was in the hospital that had been prayed for, and then her health was restored, and I love this. Jeremy's daughter, who's nine, Lucy, just like it was no big deal, said, well, yeah, of course. That's what Jesus does. Like, that is phenomenal. That is the reaction, but we don't have that. We glance over these pages and these miracles and the things that Jesus has done. Go like, okay, cool. What's next? But the reason we sit here is because this king, this man, this God is a doer. Two weeks ago, I, I taught with Ed. It was, it was really fun. And because I was teaching with Ed, my, my preparation in the morning did not take as long, so I had more time to pray. I usually don't have a ton of time for that on Sunday mornings. I will throughout the week, but not a lot on Sunday morning. And, and so I had this time, and I was just praying and, and more so listening. And I, I felt like I, I really was hearing God say that this year, specifically for our church family, needs to be a year where we are exposed to the presence of God where we experience who God is relationally more, and that one of the ways that that happens is by simply hearing the word of God. We often study the scriptures, which is great, and we should, and that matters, and we do, but there's also something different about just hearing as it was meant to be heard. And so I was thinking about that driving on the way. I even, I think, used Siri to write myself an email about that and what we were going to do. Then I get here and Ed's talking and he and I had not talked about this. And he began to talk about the importance of hearing and reading the scriptures, even in the context of in one year. And then as I'm driving home, Matt Spilsbury, who's led practices and some of our men's groups and different things going on, texts me and goes, hey, there's something about this listening to and reading God's word that matters. And I'm like, huh, okay, God, I know I'm kind of slow, but um, I'm hearing you. And then we had our first elder meeting uh, of the year this Wednesday. And a guy named Bill Eaton is one of our elders. He's been off the elder team because he moved for, I think, almost two years, right? This is his first meeting back, our first meeting of the year. And I'm sharing some of these things. And... Bill shares how he had uh, received like his, I don't know, some reading plan of the day. And this is what it was. That very day that we were meeting, Amos 8, 11 and 12. Hear this. The days are coming. This is the declaration of Yahweh God. When I will send a famine through the land, not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger 
from sea to sea and roam from north to east, seeking the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. And that's not us. Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have his scriptures and his teachings. Before all of those incredible miracles and actions that Jesus took, the things he did because Jesus does, we have the longest recording uh, piece of his teaching, the longest discourse of his teaching. And those that were there with him that day would have just heard it. They didn't study it. They probably discussed it after, but they just listened. And so based on everything I just shared, we're going to do that. I'm going to read all three chapters of the Sermon on the Mount. And you can kind of do one of a few things with that. You might be exhausted in your humanity. Maybe you have kids and there's a lot of life going on. Absolutely feel free to take a nap. That might be like the best thing for you at this season. And I don't even think that would be bad. I mean that genuinely. Like out of care, God loves and says that might be what you need. You could read it later. The other option, though, would be equally as good, I think, is to actually listen. We live in a culture that has to work unbelievably hard to captivate you every 47 seconds to keep your attention and entertain you. And so we miss out on some things. But there's something so beautiful that we actually get to hear the word of God. So not my thoughts. You're not here for me. You're not here for Nate or coffee or donuts. Though the coffee and donuts are a plus. We're here to hear from Jesus himself. And so uh, I'm going to read this, dive in and engage how you want. I do want to share one thing first. Jesus is pretty harsh in some parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Nate had an incredible quote earlier. I think it was something along the lines of, bring your crap to the feet of, of Jesus. And that was actually a great like hermeneutic thing, meaning there's a way that we're actually having to work on how we interpret and translate the scriptures because they were not written in English and in our culture. So you could read that and go literally like, hey, come defecate at the feet of Jesus. That's obviously not what Nate meant, but if you were just reading this in English and you didn't understand what Nate said, that might be what you think. It's the same with the scriptures. What he actually meant, right, was bring the worst of what you have to the feet of Jesus because Jesus meets us there with his best. That's a translation. That's an interpretation. And if you're only looking at language for language, you might not understand that. There's going to be things here about divorce and women that we might understand as really harsh. What Jesus was actually doing was flipping the script and saying, they've not been cared about, but I'm giving power and authority to them because they matter. He's actually going to be really harsh about the law and what he's doing. He'll say this, this line of, if your righteousness is not greater than that of the Pharisees, the leaders religiously of that day, then you have nothing. And that would seem like a tall task. It actually wasn't because the righteousness was all fake. What he's saying is this is a matter of the heart and God is a God of love and he wants to meet you right where you're at. So that's my little sermon. Now I'm gonna let Jesus preach. Here we go. Matthew chapter five. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then Jesus began to teach them saying, side note, I forgot this. Here I go, I'm sorry. I highly recommend, if you have a Bible, putting it away. We're not going to put uh, this on the screen. And the reason was because like 90% of the scriptures were never read. They were heard. 
They were received. And Jesus spoke this, and his audience received it. So there's absolutely a time to study, and that's really good. And obviously, if you really want to, feel free. I'm not going to say you're a bad person for reading the Bible. But there is something about just hearing. So that's kind of what I encourage you to do. All right, let's try again. The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed, for they will be comforted. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how could it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill for I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to break my rule again. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, unless your righteousness surpasses that of whom, those of whom knew the scriptures the best, those of whom knew the most stuff about God, those of whom had studied the scriptures the most, unless your righteousness passes them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven, saying this is relational about this good, not, about this good God, not informational. I'm going to try to shut up again. Verse 21. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says you moron will be subject to hellfire. So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. 
For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Neither should you swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your word yes be yes, and your no be no. Anything more than that is from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of people, to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive people their wrongdoing, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, your Father will not forgive your wrongdoing. Whenever you fast, don't be sad-faced like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so their fasting is obvious to people. I assure you, they've gotten their reward. 
But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that you don't show your fasting to people, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not collect for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is there your heart will be also." The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can be a slave of two masters, since either he will hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of money. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You have little faith. So don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the idolaters eagerly seek all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your eye. Hypocrite, first, take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs, or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them with their feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Keep asking, and it will be given to you. Keep searching, and you will find. Keep knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who searches finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened for. What man among you, if a son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And few find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. 
Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Just one more paragraph, but I want to put this part on the screen. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a sensible man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it did not collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and its collapse was great. When Jesus had finished the sermon, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. There's two things that, that really stand out about that last, that last portion about these two foundations. These storms were typical in that, in that region. They were not natural disasters or acts of God that you could not prepare for. They were expected. They were routine. Everyone knew that these types of storms came. So you had to be really, really, really dumb to ignore that and to build your foundation on something that would not last. And that's what Jesus is saying to us. Like, it is really clear. Storms of life are going to happen to every single one of us. Many of you are facing them right now. Many of you will soon. Many of you just got through them. And then there's celebrations and there's good. All of that is going to happen and come our way in different times. Jesus is saying that much. And then what he's saying is that there's two people groups. You have a choice. There's those that hear and act, and then there's those that hear and don't act. So my question for us today, my question for you today, is which group do you want to be a part of? Those that hear and act, or those that hear, because now you've heard, and don't act. What's intriguing about this is that perhaps the people group, I'll say, in our nation that is most susceptible to being the, the second group, those that hear and don't act, is us as the church. Because we're hearing, yet we have the choice. And so which will it be? I agree with Jesus here. That's usually a good idea. And what he's communicating is something we say a lot. Information alone does not lead to transformation. You can hear and act, or you can hear and not act. The book of James says the same thing. Do not be merely hearers and not doers, but be hearers and doers. So again, which do you want to choose to be? This is why we have practices. We want to take Jesus seriously for what he says, to hear and to act. And so we've simplified it to go, we don't want to just study and know a whole lot of information, like the Pharisees and the scribes that he's talked about that look righteous but actually aren't. I want to just have this really basic, simplistic, beautiful faith like a child that says, of course, that's what Jesus 
does and takes steps to follow that man and that God, our King. To be really, really specific then about our, our practices so you have an idea of, of what that looks like is our practices are groups of really like eight to, to 20 people that'll be together depending on the length of that specific practice from four to six weeks. And in that, you'll talk about the teachings, you'll talk about the scriptures and study them, but kind of the, the big key for us, why we call it a practice, is that there will be one specific tangible thing to go do, so you will not just upstream against the norms and values of what we're taught in the everyday stuff of life. And so it takes practice, practice gets better, and continues. Kind of what you can expect is two things over the next eight weeks. Uh, on Sundays, we're going to teach through a, a variety of these topics on hospitality, on Sabbath, on forgiveness, on prayer and laments, on, on trusting Jesus as a whole. And so the, the teachings on Sundays are going to be somewhat of, a, of an appetizer or a sampler, if you will, of each of these things. So everyone's going to get to hear about all of these topics from me some, and then we have uh, multiple different guests coming in uh, that I'm really excited about as well. Then you're going to pick just one practice, meaning one topic. You're not going to do all of them. You're going to pick one. So if you've been through all of them, you can pick one to repeat or just take a break if you want. We have another really significant practice coming in April. If you've missed one of them, pick that one. If you've never done any, take your pick. I might suggest the trusting Jesus practice because it's really practical going, what does it look like to trust Jesus with your heart and what you value? What does it look like to trust Jesus with your space and your hospitality? What does it look like to trust Jesus with our stuff? What does it look like to trust Jesus with our sin, actually, because he's the only person trustworthy with our sin? Uh, Sabbath is one of the most critical things I can think of, period, for us as the church today. I think it's ignored. We often think that it doesn't matter. But when I think about, like, factors that unify or break apart families, people of any type, I think Sabbath might be the most significant. Because what we do is we pursue and we pursue and we drive and we go and we try to get more instead of delighting in what is good. Sabbath is about stopping and pausing and practicing gratitude, delighting in God, delighting in each other and what we have, not what we want or have the opportunity to get. That matters. So each of these, uh, I think, are, are really valuable. Lament is so significant. So often we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and think that that means we need to pretend like Nate was talking about, put on that mask when we walk into these doors or this building that we might refer to as a church and be like, hey, everything's great. That's what it's supposed to be now that I'm following Jesus. That's not the case. That is not what Jesus says ever. One day it will be, and we'll have that feast, but not yet. We go through seasons. So one of the most significant forms of worship for us as a people of Jesus that really speaks to our culture is that we can be honest and lament and mourn, even publicly, to go, no, everything is not the way it's meant to be. And we're honest about that as followers of Jesus. Yet, we actually are confident that one day it will be, not because of us or our faith or our rules, but because of a man named Jesus that we actually believe in, that is alive and well and is active and working and moving. So 
I encourage you to embrace that, to not just hear uh, the words of Christ, but to hear and act with us. We look forward to practicing the way of Jesus with you. We're going to continue to, to worship now in song, but before that, by taking communion. And I think that's uh, the best way possible for us to launch uh, this new season of practices to take the bread and the cup, symbolizing Jesus' body and his blood. First off, his sacrifice, the value he's placed on your life, that you are loved enough for him uh, to give up his throne, to take on the form of man, to give up his life, but then to rise, conquering sin and, date, and Satan and death. But then to recognize that wherever we go, whatever we do, as we practice his way of life, that is always good. He's with us there. So we'll continue to worship now. Uh, the elements for communion are to my right and left or in the back of the room uh, to the right and left as well. First, uh, let me pray. Jesus, thank you that you are good. Thank you that you are love, that you are mighty, and that you're with us. We ask now that you just lead. We come to you, needy. We come to you recognizing that you are the source of all that is good. Help us to see what you want us to see, to care about what you want us to care about. Show us what matters. Help us to follow you in action. Most of all, no matter what happens, thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona, and we are so thankful that you were able to tune in. If this is your first time, welcome. Uh, jump over to restorationaz.org to listen to past teachings or to learn a little bit more about who we are and what we're about. Um, if you have questions or if you'd like to connect with us, um, go ahead and hit that contact tab. We'd love to connect with you. And uh, until next time, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.